Amen. You can have a seat. Good morning. Happy New Year. It's good to be back together again. I'm Dan, lead pastor here at Life Community Church. If you're new here this morning, we want to welcome you, and we would love to meet you after the service today out in the youth area, which is that way. We're going to have a guest reception, just a chance to say hi, uh, very low-key. There'll be snacks there. Hopefully that won't ruin anybody's New Year's resolution, of course. But that's right after the service, so come. Wow, it's 2019. It's a brand new year. It's crazy. I can't think of a better way to start off our new year than the series we're going to jump into today. For the next four weeks, we're going to go in-depth into what the Bible calls grace. And being a grace-focused church is one of our core values as a church. And so I want to read to you real quick the creed. It's kind of our creed on that. We believe... The central driving force of the universe and in our lives is the unmerited grace and love of God. We believe his grace alone, not our effort or accomplishment, is responsible for producing eternal life. It's responsible for freedom from sin and its control, and it's responsible for lasting change in an individual's character. We are committed to focusing on and celebrating that grace and fostering an environment that reflects it in our lives, and in our relationships. So, each of the next four weeks, we are gonna, we're going to dissect grace from how we receive it from God to how we dispense it to each other as part of this body, and then beyond that as well to our world. And then finally, in, in week four, we're going to look at how grace affects our, our, the way we give, the way we sacrifice. Now, let me tell you, before we even begin this series... If I want to tell you, I believe that if we can grasp, if we can get a hold of and understand truly God's amazing grace for us, and we can, we can use that as our base and dispense that towards each other here, towards our world, I believe it will transform our church. It'll transform our culture, our impact here as a church. So this is big. Grace is big. And I, I think now is an extremely relevant time for us to talk about this because we live in an environment in our world of ungrace toward each other. We take sides. We try to look for ways to cut other people down. And what that means is that every act of grace that we do as followers of Christ stands out in this world. It makes an impact in this world. So I want to pray for us as a church as we go through this. So let's pray. God, would you just give us a picture today of who you are and what it means that you are a gracious God? God, we often don't understand that we try to earn our way to you. So we pray that you let this sink down deep for us today. We pray for our church. We pray for us as individuals first that you would transform our lives in understanding how your grace comes to us, and you transform our church and how we, we look for ways to, to share your grace and to testify to the gospel of your grace to the world around us. Do it, God. Do your work here through your Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, so let's jump in. Every Wednesday, for over 10 years, I went down to inner city ministry and served down at inner city ministries. That's a a mission, a church that's downtown. 
in, in, in a dangerous area that most people really, frankly, try to avoid going down there. And it was a church, a mission with a desire to, to reach those who were like in desperate situations, the hungry, the poor, those who were in sexual bondage, prostitution, those who are addicted to, to drugs, to alcohol. And I've got a lot of stories, crazy stories from my time serving down there, but I want to tell you one today that kind of paints a picture of God's grace towards us and how he dispenses it. One Wednesday morning, as usual, I was down there making peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, standing around the table. We would serve those to people who would come to the door down there. And, and alongside me were some volunteers and some people from the mission and just people from the street who would come. Some who were homeless, they'd come help us. And um, as we were making sandwiches, uh, the door swung open and somebody popped their head in and they said, he's here, he's here. And it was kind of alarming the way it happened, but everybody from, a bunch of people from the table got up and ran outside. And in, in the frenzy, I turned to those who were left at the table. I said, what is, what is going on? And they said, the $5 guy's here. What? What? What do you mean? The $5 guy. There's a guy who comes down here with a huge stack of $5 bills, and he just hands them out to people. It's the $5 guy. And I said, really? I got to go see this. So I look outside, and there outside is a guy standing outside his car, has a stack of $5. He's just passing them out to people. There's a large crowd that, that gathered around him. There's a smile on this guy's face, and of course, there's a smile on everyone else's face. It's like this feel-good moment. It's amazing. I won't forget it. And the $5 man would come regularly to hand out his stack of $5 bills. He gave them out free. He did not require anything from the people. They just had to make the decision to come and to get it. So let me ask you, what do you think? What do you think of the $5 man? And what do you think about him just handing out that money to people, to those people? Because grace often evokes a response when something happens. Now, I'll tell you that story as a, as a, a standard to how we, we give to those in need or the poor. I just simply tell it to you as a picture of the grace of God and also a picture of who we are as recipients of God's grace. So what is grace? Maybe that's not a term that's familiar to you. We think of grace, what do we think of? We think of the grace we say right before our meal. We think of the grace period on our credit card. Some of us are watching that very closely after Christmas, right? What is this grace that God talks about, that we hear so much about? It's something we're going to want to know because it's mentioned well over 150 times in the Bible, New Testament, Old Testament, in various forms. So let's start with a definition. We're going to start, we're going to use throughout this series, okay? Grace is undeserved, unearned favor, a gift that costs the giver everything, the receiver nothing, and it causes outrage in the bystander. Read it again. Grace is undeserved, unearned favor, a gift that costs the giver everything, the receiver nothing, and causes outrage in the the bystander. And in the New Testament, the Greek word for grace is charis or charis. You say it with me? Charis. Got to roll the R. Come on, one more time. Charis. There you go. You're getting it. And its meaning has to do with being favorable, 
being inclined towards someone or something in love, in kindness. It's preeminently used to describe the Lord's favor towards us. He's inclined towards us. He favors us, and he gifts us with his favor. In fact, the word grace is often translated as gift in several places in the New Testament. And grace, grace is just, it's just innate to who God is. He is a gracious God. And because he's favorable towards us, he moves in ways, he acts in ways that move towards us. Now, grace is not just a Jesus thing. It's not just a New Testament thing. God has always been gracious. We remember back in Exodus that it was because of God's grace that the people of Israel were chosen to be God's people. God chose them because he wanted to choose them. He was inclined towards them. They didn't deserve it. They didn't earn it. And if you think back, you remember as part of their journey, right, they received the Ten Commandments. And as Moses came down, he saw the people worshiping a golden calf, and he threw down the Ten Commandments, went back up to be with God, And this is what God said to Moses in Exodus 34, 6. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. God, in his grace, moved back towards his people, gifted them again with his favor, though they were undeserving. And so already we begin to see the nature some of the attributes of grace that it's given to those who are undeserving. Another example in the Old Testament, in the book of Jonah, we we remember Jonah as the prophet who ran away, right? He ran away from God. Why? Because God, in his grace, had chosen the city of Nineveh, a wicked city, to, to repent. He had called them to repent. And Jonah didn't like that. So he ran away, but God brought him back. If you remember the story, Jonah ultimately and reluctantly did what God asked him to do, and he warned that wicked city, and the wicked city repented. God's grace in action. And that just absolutely ticked Jonah off. You read in Jonah 4.2, he says to God, that's why I ran away, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. You see, God's grace was just accepted by Jonah, right, for himself. But when it was dispensed to somebody other than him, he did not like that. See, grace often evokes a response. So grace, God's favor, God's favor toward us is just a part of who he is. He's gracious. We are not gracious. We're not. We're very transactional in our relationships, right? We, we do something to earn each other's favor, and then the other person does something back, and we have, that's the way our world works. It's very transactional. I'll give you something if you give something to me. But God's grace is not like that. It's inclined to favor simply because it's who he is, and he loves us. He loves us. And in the book of John, we read about Jesus, the word of God, and it says this, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We just celebrated his coming to earth. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, 
Jesus was full of grace and truth. For from his fullness, we all have received grace upon grace, God's favor, God's favor. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus was inclined towards those he came to save. Grace is innate to the Father, it's innate to the Son, and the greatest display, we know it, of that favor was Jesus' coming to earth to make us right with God, to give us the opportunity. His death, his resurrection made it possible to, for us to have forgiveness from our sins and victory over death. Why? Because of grace, because God's inclination towards us. He's favorable towards us. He loved us and he beautifully showed that love on the cross for us. God is gracious. It's just a part of who he is. And his very nature, hear this, his very nature is to, to grant us value, to grant us respect and acceptance before we even ask for it, before we comply, before we acknowledge our need for it. His general inclination towards us is, is value. Even when we reject him, when we disrespect him. Now, the grace of God affects every human being. Take a deep breath for a second. Go ahead, breathe in. That is the grace of God. It's unearned. You've been given just this free gift of life by him. He's inclined towards you. He gifted you with that. Think about the sun. The Bible says the sun shines, right, on the, on the wicked. It shines on the righteous, okay? The air, the sun, those are just things that, that we just benefit as human beings from God's grace, his favor towards us. And I quite, real quick question, no matter where you're at with God, do you, acknowledge, do you acknowledge the gifts that he gives? Do you acknowledge his grace in the life that you have? You see, we can have an attitude, can't we? We can either take everything that comes in and say, thank you, God, for this, thank you, God, for that, or we can look across the aisle and say, wait, that person has this. Why don't I have that? That's, that's not right. That's not fair. So do we acknowledge God's grace? Now, there's another more specific way that grace has come to us, and that is, is the grace that, that deals with our sin problem, right? God activated in Christ a rescue mission to save us, to make us right with him because of his grace. So turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2, and let's look through that a little bit together. Ephesians chapter 2. Okay, so Ephesians was a letter written by Paul from prison to a group of believers in the city of Ephesus. This, this group consisted of many who were Greek believers, and Paul had shared the gospel with them, okay, started a church there, an outpost for the gospel. And in this letter, Paul's going to discuss with them what God's grace is about. He's going to give them more insight, going to give insight to us ultimately about the favorable position that God has. And Paul reminds them of what their life was like before Christ and then after Christ came. So let's pick it up. Ephesians 2, verse 1. And you were dead, church, in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the enemy, the, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, 
carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Paul says here, listen, before Christ, you did whatever you wanted. You just followed your sin nature. What came naturally to you? You did what everyone else was doing, led by the enemy himself, Satan, who led you down the path and who wants you to live apart from God. Verse four, but, but, God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, catch that, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, by grace, you've been saved. You see, Paul's gonna contrast life without Christ is death. Life with Christ, because what he did on the cross is death, is resurrection. Believing in him is life. You're being made alive. And because God is gracious, he does not leave us without hope. Grace makes a way. And God's very nature is, is, is deep mercy towards us. He's merciful. And mercy, mercy is deliverance from, from the judgment. And God wants us to be free from the penalty of sin. Why? Because he loves us. Because he's inclined towards us. So he's made a way. And grace is so powerful that it works even when we were dead in our sins. Did you catch that? Grace breaks through when we are lifeless and offers us hope. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You go back a chapter in Ephesians 1, it says this, in Christ, this is a great verse, in Christ we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins, our trespasses, according to the riches of his what? His grace. What kind of a God do we have that would do something so outrageous like this? Send his own son to come. How does that resonate with you? How does that affect you, your heart, your mind? So we're going to know some things about God's grace. First of all, it's undeserved. If you walked in here today, you've never given a thought about God in your life. If you've been hostile towards God, if you've been following your own path, following the way of the world, having absolutely no regard for what God says in his ways, doing whatever you want to do, guess what? God is gracious towards you. He's inclined towards you, and he offers you the same hope that he offers every God-fearing person, the most God-fearing person in this room. He desires, the Bible says, that all come to a knowledge of the truth in Christ. So when you feel at your most undeserving, that's when grace shines the brightest. It's, it's, like, it's like the $5 man is here, right? Except it's not $5. This is life with God. This is life eternal. Life with the God who made you. Jesus comes and says, on behalf of God's favor, and says, forgiveness is yours. Forever is yours. Take the $5. Take the gift. You absolutely don't deserve it, but it's not based on whether you deserve it or not. I think it's common uh, for those of us, what, no matter where we are in our life, if we've drifted away from God, to feel this urge to say, before I come back to God, before I step into the doors of a church again, I got to get my act together. 
I've got to somehow just have some victory over this sin or that sin. That is the absolute opposite of the grace of God. Because the grace of God says you can't earn your way into God's favor. He simply invites you to come. And it's amazing when you look throughout the the New Testament, throughout the letters written there, at just how much grace is talked about. Grace and peace to you. Grace be to you. Greetings in the grace of Jesus. Be strong in the grace. There's this constant dialogue about grace. Why? It's because the early church was swimming in grace. They were swimming in God's grace. It was like everyone was looking at each other saying, can you believe this? Can you believe what God has done for us? He sent his own son. We didn't do anything. We didn't do anything. We're a bunch of idiots. We're knuckleheads. We're stuck. We're dead. Let's celebrate what God has done for us. Grace to you. Greetings in the grace of God. He's favorable towards us. It's like their eyes were opened. And last week I saw this video of this guy put on the colorblind from birth, put on these glasses, right? And he can see color for the first time. And you know what happens? He puts them on, he just bursts into tears because everything is made clear to him. Color, can you imagine? It's what the early church experienced with what Christ had done. It changed everything for them. Their eyes were opened to just how undeserving they were and just how much God loved them and desired relationship with them. How does that sit with you? How does God's grace, his love for you sit with you? Do you know that? Do you know how loved you are? Do you celebrate it? Have you received the gift that he offers? Let's keep going. So even when we were dead in our trespasses, we were made, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You see, because of God's grace, we've been given a position. We've been seated with him in the heavenly places. We will fully realize that someday. But Colossians talks about this. It's in Colossians 3, it says, Since you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts, your minds on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. He's been given us a position so that, verse 7, in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. You see, there's more grace coming. There's more and more grace coming. There's not a day that goes by that God's grace is not realized. You cannot get to the bottom of it. It's immeasurable. You can't wear it out. Oh, you can abuse it, right? You can disrespect it. You can use it up in scandalous ways, but you cannot exhaust it. It's immeasurable. It will not run out. And we're going to see more and more of God's grace poured out in the time to come. Verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Probably one of the most common verses, and it should be, 
Um, but can we stop and reflect on the words for a second? By God's favor toward you, which you did not deserve, okay? You've been rescued. You've been saved. Saved from what? From the life that was mentioned, verses one through three, from the death that existed there. You've been rescued. And it requires what? This. Nothing you could do. Only the vehicle to get to it is faith. It's belief in what he did for us on the cross. It's not of your own doing. It doesn't come from your own hand, your effort. It comes from God. Don't even think you're earning it. Don't even claim it because God's grace cannot be earned. It is unearned. Paul talks about this throughout the New Testament. 2 Timothy 1 says, don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ before the ages began. Titus Verse 3 says, when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing and regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified, being made right by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Romans 2 talks about works and grace. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. You see, the very nature of God's grace is that it absolutely cannot be earned. If it could be earned, it would not be grace because that's not what grace is. And that's where Christianity differs from other religions that require something transactional. You give this, you be faithful in this, and then you can get from God and receive his favor. Not in Christ. God's grace is unearned. God's grace is also a free gift. For by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. It's free. Now, unfortunately, what we do in society is we hear free, we think, well, it's not worth anything. Oh, someone paid the price for it, and they paid a dear price. Son of God gave up his own life. He paid for your free gift. Romans 3 talks about it. It says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified, are made right by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Grace is undeserved, unearned favor, a gift that costs the giver everything, the receiver nothing, and causes outrage in the bystander. So let me ask you, think about it for a second while I take a sip. Which is harder for you to accept? Think about it. Is it harder for you to accept that God's grace is free, that it is undeserved, or that it is unearned? Which one? 
Well, back to the $5 guy and the problem we have, okay? The problem we have with undeserved, unearned, free grace of God. Because grace comes with some side effects. Grace can really make us uncomfortable when it's dispensed to someone other than us, right? Because as those $5 bills were being handed out, slapping them down, sorry, that's an inside joke. As they were being handed out, there's a part of me that thought, what? This is dangerous. This is reckless. This is irresponsible just to hand out money like this. This is prone to abuse. These people are going to take advantage of this. Again, not making a statement on how we give to people, just a picture that it was for me. And frankly, these are the same feelings that the people around Jesus, especially the religious leaders, had at the time. They did not like what Jesus was offering, who he was hanging out to, what the gift of God he was offering to, the, to everyone. It's dangerous. They'll abuse it. The people are reckless. They're lazy. It's scandalous to tell them they don't have to earn God's favor. But for the religious leaders, it had to do with power. It had to do with control. It had to do with a lifetime of pouring into their work feeling like that they had earned something, they had deserved something. They wanted, on some level, to be able to boast in that. And we can be like this too, especially those of us who perhaps are farther along in our faith. Because we live in this transactional world, a world where we compare, right? And we decide who's the most deserving, We say, hey, everybody gets what they deserve. You got to wait your turn. You've got to pay your dues, right? So grace makes us really uncomfortable just to hand something out. And that's why we have this attitude of ungrace that can pop up, an attitude of status. We have a position, and this is not fair. And so sometimes we resist, sometimes we oppose, sometimes we hate in the name of defending truth in a spirit of ungrace. And you can contrast that with Jesus, who, who, who grace is what led to transformation. That was his message. Live in God's grace. Bless those who persecute you. Give to those who are your enemies. So our problem with, with God's grace, why it feels uncomfortable it's kind of like this two-sided coin, right? On, on one side, it is, it's pride. Because let's be honest, we kind of want our effort to be in the picture, don't we? We, we kind of want to be deserving of God's grace. We, for them, we'll be able to, to feel good about ourselves. We'll be able to, to maybe look a little bit better than everyone else. We like our position of earned favor. But God says, your efforts to try and reach me, fall so short. They are like filthy rags, right? They, they are like filthy rags. If you think you can earn any bit of my favor by doing this, you're wrong. God's grace does not come to people who morally outperform others, but to those who admit their failure to perform and who acknowledge their need. I need a Savior. Do you feel like you need a Savior? 
First Peter 5, 5 says, God opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. So that's one side of the coin, the pride side. The other side of the coin is, is I think, equally damaging. I think it's, I call it the shame side, okay? It's, it's the shame. It's the, um, God cannot possibly have favor toward me. He cannot think of me in a positive light. He, he, you have no idea what I've done. You, you have no idea the, the, the skeletons in my closet, the things that, I've, that I, I'm ashamed of. God could never favor me. And I'll just say it, to say that you're not worthy is to defy the creator who says that you are worthy and who sent his son to have relationship with you. So humility is not denying God's favor. It's thankfully accepting that he finds favor even though you don't deserve it. That's why we're told that we can approach the throne of grace with what? Confidence. God wants us to come confidently, not in shame. Because of Christ, we can come before him confidently. So are you living on either of those two sides, the pride side or the shame side? Just encourage you, throw throw the coin away you're living on either of those two sides. And here's how we can keep the gospel front and center. Two things. Confession. The confession is so important in our lives and how we relate to God and how we relate to each other. Because confession reminds us that of our status. It reminds us that we don't deserve what God has given to us, and it levels the playing field. Because every one of us here, every one of us, myself, probably the chief, are sinners and have fallen short. And if, if, if what was in our lives was shown on the screen up here in our, in our minds, was shown, we would be on our knees in shame before each other. Now, some of us wrap it up a little bit nicer Okay, we, we have an image. We can look a little bit better, maybe, than some people. At least we think we perceive it that way. Confession levels the playing field. When I hear from you, when you hear from me, this is who I am. I need to ask God's forgiveness from this. It levels the playing field. It transforms cultures, transforms churches. Parents, I want to say this to you. You have no idea how important confession is for your children. If you, if you do not model confession to them, what you do is you paint a picture to them that God's grace is, is earned and that you are deserving somehow of it. If you can go to your kid and say, listen, I screwed up. Daddy lied. Daddy said some things. Daddy did some things that were not right. You are showing your child the grace of God by laying it out. Second thing is to celebrate. Celebrate God's grace. Again, that's, that's a culture we want around here as people walk through these doors. Can you believe what God's done for us? This is crazy. We are not worthy of this, but he has loved us so much that he sent his son. Let's live in that grace. Grace to you. 
grace to you. If we did those things, I do, I believe it would transform a culture around here that already I see amazing things in the way that we, we do that with each other. You know, when we live those things out, I think grace can give us a tremendous amount of peace. So what do we do with all this today? Um, one, we embrace the, the grace of God that's offered to us. And Jesus, uh, Jesus did not, except, except to Paul, you know, Paul went through that, that thorn in his side and, and the Lord said to him, my grace is sufficient. That could be a fourth point about grace. It's sufficient. But Jesus did not mention the word grace, but every, practically every story he told pointed to grace. In fact, three of the probably the most popular ones, the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son, were all about the grace of God, right? That the son had, had left and lived just a, a life that was unworthy and had rejected God. And the father stands there with open arms and invites him back and comes back because his father's inclined towards him, invites him back. And even in that story, right, grace evokes a response. The older brother, wait a second, I've earned this. I've been faithful. Grace evokes a response. But Jesus painted that picture for us of, of God's grace. And we believe that grace is, is a key component to, to transform our lives. That's why we read in 2 Peter 3, grow in the grace. Grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. What does it mean to grow in the grace? Grow in your understanding of God's grace for you. 2 Timothy 2.1, be strengthened by the grace. That God's grace, his, his favor towards us can strengthen us in our days. So we've got to embrace the grace for ourselves. Second, we've got to show grace towards others around us. We're going to talk about that the next couple of weeks. But I want to leave you today with um, Paul's, kind of Paul's mission statement in Acts 20.24. This is what he says. I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. It's Paul's life goal to highlight the gospel and to point people to God's grace, that he's favorable towards us. So can you close your eyes? We're going to pray. <clears throat> I want to invite you just for a moment to to stop and to reflect on God's favor toward you. And I want to say this, that the grace of God has come to us, but we have a choice to make to trust Christ and what he did on the cross. As because of God's grace, we've been made an offer, given a free gift to be made right with God. Have you asked God for that gift? Have you placed your faith in Christ? I invite you to do it. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you have done. He accepts. 
He offers forgiveness. Come to him today. God, we thank you for your grace. And God, we even confess in our hearts and minds now the ways we have elevated ourselves to feeling any kind of feeling like we deserve what you've given us. We don't. Help us to love one another. Help us to break down walls that are between us and between us and our world. Help us to love this world that you love so dearly to and that you've shown your grace towards. And now, God, we want to sing together about your grace and humbly come before you, our great God. In your name, amen.